Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Thursday morning to you. The emails are open. They're open 24-7. And you can email Cork today at c103.ie. Shocking some of the... All of the papers are picking up on it, on the story of the gambling problem we seem to have in this country. That'll come as no surprise, I think, to some, uh, but it'll become as a worry to a lot of other people. They reckon now about one in 30 people suffer with a gambling uh, problem. We'll look at that uh, story in a little bit more detail uh, later on. Also, I think a number of people will be glad to hear that the HSE have announced a management recruitment freeze. How often have we heard people complain that there's uh, too many chiefs and not enough Indians in the HSE? So they've put a, a recruitment freeze on uh, the uh, managers and very sad story out of Dublin that a 60 year old woman has died. It's after um, a hit and uh, run. That really is uh, shocking. God help that poor uh, family. And from a budget point of view, still lots about the budget. They, there is the promise that we will get to see some benefit from this budget before Christmas because of course it's the budget for 2024 and normally things don't kick in until 2024 but uh, Fina Gale and Leo Varadkar in particular are saying no some of the benefits will be passed on before Christmas and the ERSI they're continuing to forecast the slowdown in the Irish economy and I think it's the slowdown in the Irish economy that is worrying people because if there's a slowdown in the Irish economy there isn't going to be as much money going into the coffers and then how are we going to be able to afford things and one where and I've had so many calls and texts in uh, in about the Ukraine the people who are fleeing the war in Ukraine and coming to live in this country and the majority of people agree yes it's the right and the proper thing to do to look after those that are fleeing war in their own country but the question I think that now has been asked by a lot of people is how long can we continue to afford to look after these poor people, especially when you hear of a fall off in the corporation tax and the ERSI saying there is going to be a slowdown in the economy. Uh, So people are asking about the amount of social welfare that Ukrainian refugees receive when they come into this country. It's different to the amount that somebody who comes here claiming asylum, they receive much, much less uh, than the refugees from Ukraine. So I I came across a a piece online from the Business Post. They put a a lot of research into this and it seems that the coalition party leaders have been discussing cutting social welfare benefits for the Ukrainian refugees. And what's been on the table is to bring it into line with what other 
other EU countries are uh, doing. And seemingly these discussions went on over the summer months. There is a cabinet subcommittee on Ukraine included in that. There are all the main party leaders, the Taoiseach, or the main coalition leaders. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar is there, Mio Martin is there, the Thornista and Eamon Ryan of the Green Party, uh, the Ministry for the Environment. And they seemingly discussed the issue back in July, but they didn't come to any decision on the future of the €220 per week that is paid to Ukrainian adults that arrive in this country as uh, refugees. Now, no decisions were made, but they did look at uh, options. I mean, seemingly some of the things they discussed was limiting the social welfare benefits to, say, a certain period of time. So allowing them to come and saying, OK, we'll support you when you arrive and we'll give you a period of time and then you're expected to go out and find uh, work. They also seemingly spoke about providing state accommodation for a limited period of time and then saying to the people, you're going to have to go out and find uh, your own accommodation. Accommodation. And it seems that the Department of Children carried out its own comparative analysis of supports for Ukrainian refugees across the EU earlier this year. But what's interesting is that review was has not been published. And I don't know why it hasn't been published. So they obviously went to every other, contacted every other country in the EU that has taken Ukrainian refugees, which I'm assuming is every EU country, and said, OK, how much do you pay the refugees when they're here and what supports are you giving? Are you giving? So they have that earlier this or they got all that information earlier this year but they haven't published it i wonder i wonder why uh, why uh, that is anyway all eu countries are provided to provide some kind of social welfare assistance to the refugees who fled after russia invaded their country but the and the eu bloc only last week decided that they'd, they'd extend the temporary protection directive. The Ukrainian refugees come here and can go to any other EU country under this temporary protection directive. Now, that's been extended so that they can stay in any EU member state now up until 2025. I think the initial directive was to end next year in 2024, but it's been extended now to 2025. But the directive does give member states flexibility in terms of the welfare benefits that they provide. Now, the Irish government, in paying Ukrainian refugees without unemployment, the welfare payment of 220 a week, what the Irish government decided to do was to give the Ukrainian refugees the very same welfare payment that somebody in Ireland would receive. That's kind of the standard, uh, 200, €220. Euro. I think it's it's what people on job seekers, a single person on job seekers uh, would get. It's what uh, people on uh, disability allowance gets, illness benefits. So they decided to pay the very same uh, amount. But a study has found that the amount paid to the Ukrainian refugees here in Ireland is the highest of any other EU country. And a study by the Oireachtas Library and Research Service has found that the weekly payments for Ukrainian refugees in other EU countries range from as low as €7.90 per week, that's in Belgium, um, up to €130 per week in Finland. But we are real outliers here with the €220 per week. So just quickly looking at the other countries, Hungary give Ukrainian refugees €13.79. 
In Austria, it's 41 euro. Czech Republic, 42 euro. Greece, 50 euro. Netherlands, 53. Luxembourg, 63. In Portugal, they get 68 euro. Italy paid them 75 euro. Denmark, it's at 82. In the UK, obviously, it's sterling, but transferred to euros. It works out at 95 euro per week. In France, they get 99 euro. Spain, give them 100 euro. And in Germany, they give them 112. And then there's a big jump to here in Ireland where we give them 200. 120 euro per week. Figures from the United Nations High Commission for Refugees also show that the number of Ukrainian refugees arriving here has grown at a much faster pace than any other EU country. And of course, the suspicion is that because we are being very generous and, you know, and I, and I keep going back to it is only right and proper that we look after the Ukrainian refugees. But the worry is that if we're too generous in looking after them, does that word get back to other Ukrainian refugees and do they all decide that's the best country to go to? And I suppose if you think about it, uh, in the cold light of day, if it was you or I and we had to flee this country because because of war and we had to get out with our children and we had to go somewhere where we're going to be safe, you would do your research. You would kind of look and say, well, where's the best country to go to? And obviously the country that's going to help you the most is more than likely the country I think that I would be heading for. So I do kind of have an understanding uh, of it. The number of Ukrainian um, refugees in Belgium, now this is according to the UN High Commission, uh, They, uh, Belgium has the lowest they're the ones with the €7.90 a week. Um, Ukrainians are still flocking to Belgium. They've increased. They were around 67,000 were there in February. It's now at 73,000. The numbers in Italy have remained unchanged. That's at 167,000 people. In France, this is interesting. In France, the number of Ukrainian refugees have fallen. They had a high of 119,000, but it's gone down to 70,000. I wonder, is there any explanation for that? But in that same period of time between February and now, the number of Ukrainian refugees in Ireland increased in February. There were 73,000 people and that's got up to 94,000. And the Parliamentary Budget Office, they're forecasting, because obviously they're doing the pre-budget report at the moment, so they have to factor in the number of Ukrainian refugees that are here, but they also have to factor in the possible it's kind of a guesstimate for them, but they're trying to work out how many more will come in. They're reckoning that by early next year, that figure of 94,000 could be gone to 110,000. And they're basing that on the fact that 3,000 Ukrainian refugees are registering every month for a PPS number. So they're obviously people just arriving into the country. Now, Mark McSherry is an independent Sligo Leitrim uh, TD. He actually was the one who commissioned that Oroctus Library and Research um, uh, piece. He was speaking to the Business Post this week and he said that Ireland had to bring its welfare payments for Ukrainian refugees in line with other EU countries. He says because it's now becoming the preferred location for these refugees fleeing the country due to the fact that we are paying high levels of uh, benefits. He said we all want to do all we can to assist those in need from other countries uh, being especially conscious of our own story having travelled the world seeking work. However he said we totally ignored the fact that we were starting from a situation where before the outbreak of war we were suffering from the most profound shortage of housing in Ireland. The most profound since back in the 1840s now Obviously, Mark McSherry has passed on all of this information uh, to Leo Varadkar and Leo Varadkar has 
answers back to uh, Deputy Mark McSherry uh, last month and he said that the work to match supports for Ukrainian refugees here with other EU countries, he says, was very much underway and ongoing. He says we have to be sensible about these things and try to align what is done in in, Dub, in Ireland with what is done in other European uh, countries. So they're working on it but they haven't made a decision yet. And you would think, now maybe, maybe, maybe we're wronging them and maybe coming up to the budget, maybe something will get announced in the budget on uh, Tuesday. But certainly when you're looking at all of the other factors, when you're looking at corporation taxes are starting to go down. So it does mean going into the future, we're not going to be awash, the exchequer is not going to be awash with money the way it was. And when we even have the ERSRI themselves, uh, then they're an, an independent think tank for the government. They're already forecasting a slowdown in the Irish economy. Something is going to have to uh, give and something's going to have to be done about it. 0818 John Paul's taking your calls. Uh, your thoughts are welcome. We've got competitions and prizes to give away on the programme. Uh, today we'll have another pair of those tickets to the National Menopause Summit. It's happening in Cork City Hall. Uh, two weeks, tom- is it two weeks tomorrow? It's uh, Friday, uh, three weeks tomorrow, Friday, the 20th of October in Cork City Hall and we have a pair of balcony tickets uh, to give away to the National Menopause Summit. You can check out their website for more details. They've got really, really good guest speakers, nationalmenopausesummit.com and of course more of the Thunderland uh, tickets uh, to give away. We have a, a daily winner every day this week for three tickets and passes for Thunderland Autumn, which is at Creamfields on the Tomorrow Road, open every night until 10 with supervised parking. And we'll do all of that later on in the programme. And uh, John Paul, uh, continuing to take your calls. Um, we're just, he's just pulling through um, our first interview. Uh, but just while on the issue of what the refugees uh, get, Alyssa says, please don't call out my name, but uh, just a question comes to mind when you're talking about the refugees from Ukraine getting €220 Euro a, a week. That's exactly how much I get. And I have to say, I'm very thankful for it but out of that I have to pay rent and bills do the refugees have to pay these uh, also Uh, some do but as far as I know some don't the ones that are where accommodation is provided um, don't the ones that are living in hotels obviously don't uh, but I know they're paying a portion towards their food that was something that came in uh, during the year but so so I suppose no the answer is no not all of them uh, do thank you for your text 0862103103 now primary school principals are warning that they're grappling with a looming financial crisis with a survey finding that many expect not to have enough funds to cover essential bills. What are we talking about essential bills? Well, it's things like heating. survey was carried out by the National Principals Forum and joining me is uh, Seamus O'Connor who's part of the forum but he's also principal at Skullbreed in uh, Middleton. Uh, Good morning to you, Seamus. Good morning, Patricia, and thank you for having me. Well, you're you're welcome to the programme. Okay, I'll put it straight out. Isn't it fair to say that the current capitation grant that is paid to primary schools is simply not enough to cover the running costs of a school? I mean, that's it in black and white, isn't it? The the basic answer, Patricia, is yes. I suppose as a background, because maybe your listeners may not be aware of the National Principals Forum, I suppose here in Cork, even there's 411 schools in total. um, But what we have... We're a group of 12 to 14 acting principals, or sorry, uh, active principals, practicing principals, who survey uh, other principals three to four times a year. About 1,200 applicants usually take part in these surveys. But on the the most recent one, um, 
over five, just over 500 principals took part and we just asked what were the key questions at this point in time. Uh, the budgetary thing absolutely came to the fore. Um, I suppose from a positive perspective, Patricia, as you know, many families across the country benefited, and particularly here in Cork, from the free book scheme over the summer and that was deeply appreciated by schools, you know. But parallel to that, I suppose schools only receive less than one euro per child per day to run the school. Now, when you consider that in, you know, in West Cork, you'd have a number of small schools. If you do up the numbers there, you know, you you can see straight away the inadequacy of that. When you consider that we also have to pay water charges on top of increased insurance costs. I suppose my school, I have just over 300 pupils, two buildings. My insurance cost last year was €19,000 and next this current year it's going to be €26,000. Now, that has to come out of the capitation to start with. And when you consider that water costs could be between four and eight thousand euro a year and the most expensive part of my budget is my heating uh, and that would be the same across every school so unfortunately you know 73 percent of my colleagues have told us that even though they're you know they, they have forward budget they won't have enough money in, in, under their current capitation to pay for heating and light and essential services this year and do the when it comes to the capitation grant and, and yep. it's, it's based on how many pupils you have in the school, yep. one, the right. one thing I can never understand is why is there a difference between the capitation grant for primary schools and the capitation grant for the secondary school, which yeah, might be correct. just across the road from, from your school? I, Patricia, that's very fair. I mean, if, if for your listeners' benefit, it's roughly 83 euro per pupil uh, at primary level and it's about 190 euro per pupil at secondary. Now, one could argue that 700 secondary schools and 3,200 primary schools, maybe it's just a, an equal size of numbers and obviously within that 3,200 we have a large, a large number of small schools and we're not going to debate that because small schools are the focal point of all communities and we know that. So there, there is, there is it, it needs to be looked at. It's quite archaic. Even on a simple level, Patricia, a large number of schools in West Cork have opened specialty classes in the last number of years. They bus escorts to transport their children to those classes and we're delighted with that and we absolutely have embraced it. However, your bus escort um, starts in September and finishes in June. You pay the school pay them over the course of the year their wage on a weekly basis, and then at the end of the year you claim back that wage. Now, on a simple, you know, from simple uh, accountancy perspective, if we were to receive a grant at the start of the year, half would half the fee would say for argument's sake, and then get the rest at the end of the year. You can you can see how that would immediately alleviate some of the pressure. So I think in the short term, the last year the uh, government released a, a cost of living grant for all schools, and I think that was that was termed at the time as a one year deal or one time payout because of the energy crisis last year. However, as you know, with diesel prices and petrol prices are currently, you know, the even though there may be an argument to say the the energy crisis may be rescinding, you know, from a from a pay perspective at this point, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be reflected in our bills. No, but and it's not, it's not reflected. Yeah, yeah it's not reflected in anyone's bills to no. the point that the government are already talking about giving energy crisis, uh, giving the energy credits to the right. households like they did last year. They're going yeah. to have to help you out with. They the, are, and may I also say that in fairness, if every school is partaking in green school flags and uh, working with the SEAI and making annual returns in relation to doing power hours and trying to reduce our usage in schools. So that, that's a given. However, it's just not enough. And I mean, at the end of the day, with heat, it's very difficult to say we're going to do a power hour and cut, uh, cut the heat for an hour, particularly in November to, to January. So, yeah, if we get a cold spell, correct. You, 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 literally, so, you literally have... Yeah. Uh, something you've said, um, Seamus, I think that people would be think, saying, did he actually say that? Water charges at a school? Yes, 
schools are still charged with water costs, uh, charged, Patricia, and it's only, I suppose, in the last week when I spoke to other media outlets, I, I wasn't aware that people weren't aware of that, but yes, we are charged for water bills. And like a business. Like, yeah, it, like a business, yeah. And it's kind of annoying because we are a state building at the end of the day, so you see that that should be, you know, there should be a separate grant to pay for our water charges if that's the case because it's a state. We're, we're providing a state function. And second to that is, I suppose, with our insurance, it's only one provider. We're only allowed to go to a provider for our insurance premium. We're not allowed to, to shop around for a better, better, better phrase. And why is that? Well, it's to do, look, you could, you, to be honest, you could host a whole show on this, but it's to do with the, the link between the diocesan offices, the department and an insurance company. So at this time, any school that's under, let's say, the Diocese of Cork and Ross must go to a certain insurance provider to get our insurance. And the same for me, I'm in the client diocese, it's the same. I have to go to Allianz. Because we're constantly being told to shop around. I appreciate oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and, and I, I believe your survey also highlighted particular difficulties for principals of special schools. Special school difficulty and schools where you need specific training um, that isn't being provided by the department. So even most recently, I can only give an example from my side, but I'm not a special school. I'm mainstream school with six special classes. We had to have special training uh, provided for children with diabetes and specific pumps and so forth. We ha- we were presented with the charge for that at the end, which was all new to me because I suppose I'm a principal 16 years. Uh, anytime we've had diabetes training in the past, um, particularly through the HSE, it was free, but now we've been charged for it. And I suppose that's mounting up when you take special schools where you have pet feeding, you have medical issues, and you have manual handling issues as well, which again, we've no problem providing. That's our job, and we're delighted to do it, and we're helping families, and we really appreciate our role within the society. But at the same time, you can see where the mounting costs are putting huge pressure and a burden on principals. And may I say, look, in 2013, you know, there was a PISA, uh, the PISA uh, survey was done across the world and Europe in relation to literacy and numeracy rates. And to be fair, Ireland had dropped. There was a large number of... I remember uh, that. There were a large number of uh, initiatives that were put in place over the last 10 years, which schools have cooperated with. And in this year's results, 2023, we are the top. We're the top both at the world and and European stage. So I'm just saying that we're willing, as a group of principals, as a set of colleagues, we are willing to move the deck chairs around financially as much as we can. But it's, you know, and I'm not calling for centralisation of accountancy or anything like that. Schools need autonomy. But we did receive the grant last year for the, the energy costs and I'm, I'm calling for that to be you have put to, into the you're, 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 you're going to have absolutely no choice. Yeah. And listening to you, uh, Seamus, the stress levels for principals must be off the Richter scale. At the end of the day, uh, all principals went in as teachers and you know you Correct. worked your way up along, you're educators and that's what you want to do. You want to do the very best for the children that come through the doors of your, of your school every day. It sounds like you sit in an office like yeah. like the CEO of a company trying to make sure that you have the money and you're probably robbing from Peter to pay Paul and what bill will I pay this week? That, but that fair. isn't what educators should be doing. No, I mean, to be honest, you know, we are we are paid not like at my because the size of my school I am, my role is to administer the school and I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, I did get into teaching to support families and children not to run a budget. And I suppose the frustration on my side of it is we are tangible. We have to send off our accounts every year through the financial services sec- uh, section of the department and that's all very fair and, and a good thing. That, that's good accountability. But the difficulty is e- even in some, you know accumulating the accounts correctly and ensuring they are correct, you can imagine the, the level of paperwork that's involved in that. But outside of that, when you know that your your bottom line in your account monthly is rescinding. And also, like I suppose this time of the year is particularly stressful for schools again. 
people wouldn't be aware. Our last cap- our capitation grant, last one came in the start of June, and you don't receive your next one until the end of January. But as you can imagine, your major spend in the year is in September, October, and then November, December, when it comes to topping up oil tanks and so forth. Wow. So really what you're calling for, uh, Seamus, to the government is for a fair and equitable funding, at least just right. cover the cost of running the school. Yeah, I mean, it's not acceptable to say that, um, you know, schools are having to go back to the days of the, the bad old days of the voluntary fees or the voluntary contributions. As you know, most schools try their best to rent rooms, bring in preschools, do things like that so as to generate money internally. But again, in certain schools, particularly my colleagues in West Cork, where population size and schools aren't huge, it's difficult to rent rooms and generate revenue out of that. So it, it really does need to be looked at the capitation model in general because, as I said, for primary side of it, we're quite envious of our secondary colleagues. And you can see, you know, the, the, the buildings and the size of the budgets that they have in comparison to us at times is quite enviable. Um, but as I said, at the end of the day, we're not trying to pay the poor mouth. It, it is recognised like the free book scheme that came in last year and the summer provision programme over the summer support families, all excellent initiatives and, and we're delighted to support. But I suppose it, it's important that we, it's a duty to, to call and say, publicly that, you know, the budgets in relation to, I suppose, heating, lighting and particularly water as well. We just don't get in enough to actually pay those rates. Yeah, at it is time. it is what it is. You're, you're yeah. not exaggerating. You're, you're, lay, you're laying it out. Listen, uh, well done. The, the, the National Principals Forum, you're a great advocate on behalf of all of the other uh, principals. We'll speak again, Seamus. In the meantime, thank, thank you, you for that and thanks for thank joining you. us. Thank uh, you. Good morning. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a lovely principal. That is Seamus O'Connor, uh, who uh, happens to be the principal of Skull Breed in uh, Middleton, but he's part of the National Principals uh, Forum. 0818 If they don't have enough for heating, we'll be going back to the days when the uh, the children used to bring a lump of turf under their arm and bring it with them into school. We'll be looking at situations like that if schools don't have enough uh, to switch on the heating. You can text or WhatsApp us to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie The UK and Ireland are set to be ratified unopposed as hosts of the Euro 2028 by UEFA next week after Turkey withdrew from the bidding process. To discuss what this will mean for Ireland, I'm joined by Trevor Welch, who is, of course, our soccer correspondent. Good morning to you, Trevor. Morning, Trish. Now, firstly, was it expected that Turkey would withdraw? Um, No, I I mean, it came as a surprise, but uh, maybe they just hadn't got everything in place or felt they wouldn't have everything in place by Euro 2028 and uh, decided that uh, the better equipped to uh, go in with a joint bid with Italy uh, for the following Euros, which would be 2032. And it is expected they're going to get that? Yeah, that expected that, uh, yeah, they, they'll get the joint bid in 2032. So that leaves, obviously, UK and Ireland unopposed for the, the meeting uh, next Tuesday. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's going to come true, obviously, that, uh, you know, we will have uh, European football in Ireland in uh, less than five years. And this is a first, isn't it, for Ireland, I'm right in saying? Yeah, it's the first ever European Championships. Um, I mean, the, the Europa League final, actually, uh, this season will be held at the Aviva it's, uh, next May, and the likes of Liverpool, West Ham, and that, which would be exciting to Irish soccer fans. Uh, we had one Europa League final uh, back in 2011 as well, uh, but uh, this will be on a different scale altogether with huge financial rewards, you know, for the, the FAI, who, as we know, are cash-strapped. So this is going to be a huge injection financially, 
and indeed uh, for Irish soccer fans, uh, will leave a, a legacy and uh, really a great tournament to look forward to. I was I was fortunate enough, Trish, I suppose, to, to work in a few Euros in 2004 in Portugal and the last time Ireland qualified in France in 2016. And uh, it's a massive tournament with uh, billions tuning in and uh, it's, it's worth you. It's going to be worth huge money uh, to the economy here in Ireland. Now, I know as part of the bid, the UK-Ireland bid, they have to put forward the venue, venues. Now, I believe 10 venues have been confirmed. Yeah, 10 venues. Um, obviously, the Aviva um, Stadium uh, will host six matches, uh, four group games, we're told, the last 16 tie and a quarterfinal as well. So that will be used. That will be over 300,000 spectators alone at the Aviva Case in Park then um, has been chosen as the other venue, which would come as a surprise, I'm sure, to many. Uh, Crow Park was on the long list, as was Old Trafford, but neither made the cut. Uh, Case in Park, uh, as you know, Trish, has been dilapidated since 2013. It's going to uh, come to a cost, an estimated cost of $150 million, uh, to build. Uh, Windsor Park in, in uh, Belfast uh, only holds 19000 so that wasn't considered. But, uh, you know, rumours are circling that if Case in Park wasn't ready, and fit for purpose, then the Crow Park, uh, you know, might come back into play. Yeah, because, and obviously the fact that Caseman Park is in Belfast and everything that's going on with the Stormont, and it's, uh, there is still a question mark whether they'll be able to get the money together. I did hear, I think it was Leo Varadkar say that the Irish government will be willing to uh, chip in. Yeah, he was saying that um, the Irish government would maybe help from the UK government as well and, uh, you know, the, the Ulster GA, but, um, you know, it, it, it's a huge cost. Um, you know, people would probably say it was a no-brainer that Crow Park is ready to go, like over 80,000 people at Crow Park holds. Uh, Parky Queeve came in, you know, for discussion as well, but didn't make the long list. Uh, so, you know, um, we'll have to wait and see how developments go at, at, at Caseman Park. And I know it's probably based on population, but uh, in fairness, uh, most of the venues that have been announced, it's one in each city, except in London. There's there's both Wembley and I think it's Spurs Stadium has been used. So they can't say that no other city are using two stadiums. Yeah, they're, they're London with three, like with the Etihad as well. Oh, they have um, three. Oh, sorry, yeah. that was only two. Okay. Yeah, Arsenal's Etihad. Oh, and, of course, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, the, 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 I beg your pardon, Trisha, right. It is true. It's Tottenham Hotspur's uh, stadium and uh, Wembley. Yeah, Wembley will host the final. The Etihad, of course, Man City, Everton's new stadium, St James's Park and Villa Park, and uh, in Scotland, then Hamden Park and the Principality Stadium in Cardiff. I keep getting the Emirates and the Etihad mixed okay, up. But, right. <laughs> but Man City, yeah, Man City's gone. So Old Trafford misses out as well. But uh, you know, um, it, it's going to be very interesting. And uh, the other, the big talking point, obviously, Chris, is. Uh, you know, how many nations will get automatic qualification uh, for the Euros 2028. Now, UEFA said it's highly unlikely that the five host nations were given automatic places at the tournament. One suggestion is that, uh, you know, four of the nations will be all but guaranteed qualifications with two places reserved for the highest-ranked teams who do not, you know, secure um, a qualification to the tournament. So, you know, Northern Ireland are the lowest-ranked team, so they would miss out. You know, if if the two nations um, were were to who didn't qualify were to get uh, automatic qualification, do you think Ireland will qualify through the normal route? Um, it's 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 a, it's it's always a big ask because of where we slipped in the rankings. Now, Trish, we're in the fifties, you know, 
and that, that means you'll always get a very tough group with two really strong nations in it. Um, obviously, we're not going to qualify for Euro 2024 next year in Germany. Um, it's highly unlikely, but um, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see developments there. Who's going to come in as the next Ireland manager? Uh, but um, you know, you wouldn't be holding your breath that we'd be awesome, automatic yeah. qualifiers. But hopefully, we will get through by hook or by crook. And in, in uh, you know, the four tickets might be handed out. And uh, you know, if Northern Ireland don't qualify automatically, they're the lowest ranked team of the the five formations of such an Ireland. And of course, this will be a massive injection of cash into the economy. I mean, I, I think I heard the government speculating, you know, it could be upwards of 360 million euro. Soccer fans do spend money when, when they follow their teams. Yeah, I was just looking at it earlier, Trish, like, and then overall, it, uh, the tournament will be worth up to 3 billion for all five nations. And as you said, then it'll be up to about 260 generators in Ireland and 51 million uh, from a legacy fund to be kind of invested into grassroots football across all the five nations. So it's a huge injection uh, of cash, you know, for the, the nations holding uh, hosting the tournament. But uh, the FEI certainly could do with it. And, you know, there's going to be a scramble for tickets. Everybody will want to be at the Aviva for those uh, six matches. And, um, you know, you could just imagine um, the cost of hotels on Dublin at the time. <laughs> I was just about to say people will be, will be booking their hotel rooms uh, and we know price gouging will go on. It always does. It always does. All right, but it certainly it is a good news story, but it has to be officially ratified, did you say, next Tuesday? Tuesday, yeah. It's uh, going to be ratified Tuesday. and uh, It's almost certain now that uh, it will go ahead and it's, uh, it's going to be huge for our soccer fans, you know, to... Um, have their own memories and, and legacies of one of the big tournaments, I suppose. You know, you go back to 88, Chris, Euro 88, when Ireland first qualified for major finals on the Big Jack, yeah. come under pressure and all that. I mean, 88 holds great memories for so many Irish soccer fans. Uh, 2012 was Poland-Ukraine. We didn't do too well in that one, but we did well in getting to the knockout stages in France in 2016, the last time Ireland got to a Euro finals. So, you know, um, we can look forward to... Um, you know, soccer fans bring their own memories and legacy. And then we had the girls this year who, who renewed a whole new interest in, in soccer, certainly for young girls. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that uh, qualifying for the World Cup for the very first time for women's soccer in Ireland has, uh, you know, really caught the imagination. And uh, we're off to a flying start as well in the Nations League. Trish winning two out of two. Yeah, and they're doing really, really well. Really good football there. And Ex-Cork City Manager, of course, Colin Healy is now part of the, the setup of the women's team. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting because uh, there's a lot of uh, very good young talent coming through Irish women's soccer as well. OK, listen, we leave it there, Trevor. We'll speak again. But thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. That is uh, Trevor Welch, our soccer correspondent. Some of your commentary coming in. I made a sort of a rather tongue-in-cheek comment at the end of my interview with uh, Seamus O'Connor, the principal, who was talking about just how tough it is for principals. And it's going to be, they reckon, a tough winter with heating costs and electricity costs and all the other bills that are coming into primary schools. And really, they're putting out a plea to the government saying, you're going to have to give us a bit of a helping hand or there will be some schools who simply won't be able to put on the heating and you can imagine then the outpouring from parents if their children are going into very cold classrooms and I tongue-in-cheek said oh we might be going back to the day where the boys and girls will be asked to bring a lump of turf under their arm in order to help keep 
the classroom warm. Well, that's prompted somebody that I'm assuming is a tongue-in-cheek comment back saying, Patricia, I'm not sure what you mean by the children will be taking in a sod of turf to the schools. Schools don't have open fires anymore. And even if they did, they wouldn't be able to light a fire considering the amount of children who have asthma. And then the teachers, they wouldn't be able to light the fire. Why? Because they'd need to have health and safety training in order to do it. And then there's the likelihood that that sod of turf could be considered a weapon. I don't see what you would do uh, with it. So I'm assuming tongue-in-cheek comment back to me. Thank you for your comment to 0862 103 103. And here's a lovely, lovely text in. Thank you, Talim, for taking time out to send this to say, Hi, Patricia. I've just moved into Cladov and the farmer next to the co-op in Cladov, where I live, cut the roadside ditches and what a job he did. He's actually managed to widen the road and it is made it bright. Eamon Ryan, Minister for Transport, Minister for the Environment and the RSA should look at this going forward and keep them cut this way. The birds, by the way, that we're trying to protect, they'll nest in other trees if they don't have the hedgerows uh, available. If it could save one life, then it will pay for itself. And that's from Liam. I don't have that farmer's name, but well done to that farmer in Cladov on the road next to the co-op. You've done a remarkable job by all accounts. Helen was listening to my chat with uh, Trevor Welch when we were talking about the Euros and the Euros are coming to Ireland. Ireland. And uh, next Tuesday, it'll be confirmed that the Ireland and UK uh, bid to host the Euros 2028. Helen was uh, taken aback when she heard Trevor say that Croke Park won't be used. And she's questioning why will they not use Croke Park for the Euros? The taxpayers have poured millions and continue to pour millions into it every year. Is it the greedy GAA? Well, listen, well, Helen, no, you're wrong in the GAA on that. Uh, the GAA were allowing Croke Park to be put forward as part of the bid. But if you look at the bid, there's 10 venues have been put forward for the hosting of the Euro 2028. Now, six are in the UK for obvious reasons. They already have the big uh, stadiums in place. And then there is one for Belfast, one for Dublin, one for Scotland and one for Wales. So the other four nations are getting one each. So the one for Dublin, obviously, is the Aviva. But the question mark is going to be over the one for Belfast because the one for Belfast that they've put in is in uh, Casement Park. And remember, Casement Park, that's a GAA uh, ground. But a new 34-seater stadium, that's part of the overall application for Casement uh, Park. But of course, Casement Park has laid dormant since 2013. I saw pictures of it yesterday. It's absolutely shocking. I mean, it almost looks like it needs to be levelled to the ground and rebuilt. And it has been awaiting development now for uh, 10 years the Stormont executive had uh, originally committed £62 million sterling to the redevelopment, but that was a decade ago and back a decade ago it was part of a package of improvement of stadia for rugby, GAA and uh, soccer. The rugby and the, and the soccer one went ahead, but the GAA one didn't. So they had, they had said that they would pay £62 million sterling, but the latest estimate has put that figure now, because we know building costs have gone up in those 10 years, to anywhere between 110 million and 140 million pounds uh, sterling. And obviously there's going to be a huge shortfall. That is proving to be a bit uh, controversial, uh, particularly at the Stormont Executive Casimi. Some unionists are questioning, because obviously it's a GAA ground, some unionists are questioning whether that money would be available. But of course there's a collapse of uh, Stormont. It's still collapsed. So it's understood that discussions are underway with the UK government and the Treasury 
in London about getting additional cash for the project and by all accounts it's understood that good progress has been made and I'm sure I heard Leo Varadkar or Taoiseach uh, say that they would be willing to uh, put in some money uh, as well but but there is still as I say a question mark over Caseman Park in Belfast and if it isn't ready then there is no other venue available in Belfast it is possible then that they might look to Dublin and if they do it would be uh, Croke Park so it's nothing to do um, Helen with the GAA being uh, greedy I was talking about the Ukrainian refugees coming to this country and getting the €220 a week. And when you compare that to what other EU countries are paying uh, the refugees, and everybody accepts that these refugees need to be looked after, but we are over generous in what we are giving by way of social welfare benefits. The lowest country is Belgium. They only give €7.90 a week. God, you wouldn't get a lot for €7.90, but we are the most generous at 220 nearest to us is Germany and they give the refugees, the Ukrainian refugees, 112 uh, euro a week. Somebody says, Patricia, when you're on talking about what the refugees are getting, I'd love to know how much a week our TDs are getting. Well, that's very easy uh, to find out. The basic salary for a backbench TD went up, didn't it, last week or the week before? Was it last last weekend, I think, is 107,000 at uh, 376 euro you're looking for a weekly if that works out what a little over 2000 a week that's what they now that would be that's the the gross uh, figure but that's what the figure is but that's there's nobody hiding that that's very much there that's a backbench ATD obviously then it's more for junior ministers for full ministers for the Taoiseach the Taunish uh, etc Nancy in Bantry says I don't begrudge this is on the Ukrainian refugees I don't begrudge uh, anyone running from war but to think I get 299 euro a week as an old age pensioner I've worked all my life in this uh, country and out of that 299 euro a week I have to pay electricity bills, I have to pay my bin charges, I have to pay for my phone, house insurance uh, and much, much more. And to think others are getting €220 while being put up, fed and watered. I have nothing against Ukrainian refugees but the system seems unfair. John in Coachford said the government can't be comparing themselves to the likes of France or Germany. They're acting like the big men but they must realise they're not. We are a very small country. We must cut our cloth to our measure. John says, Patricia, could you just clarify something for me that you mentioned earlier? When a refugee from Ukraine arrives here, they are accommodated with food and accommodation, etc., to which I totally agree. Did you say that they also get registered for social welfare payments, which to me would make them better off than some of our own, thereby making Ireland very attractive to all, says uh, Dan. And somebody else actually is is uh, querying that as well, uh, saying that when the refugees arrive here, are you saying that they get, don't they get their food and don't they get their accommodation as well? Why are they getting social welfare? Well, OK, when they arrive in this uh, country, the majority of them, of course, arrive without accommodation. Now, obviously, we have a shortage of accommodation and they're being warned about that. So therefore, they're offered then, there's all different types of accommodation uh, been offered. We have refugees, for example, living in community centres, in sports halls. We have them in tented uh, accommodation um, as well. Um, now, if their accommodation provides food and some of them 
some of the hotels, for example, and the, and the B&Bs, they do provide food. Then the Ukrainian refugees now must pay a contribution. This was a change that came in during the year. They pay a contribution of 10 euro per day for adults and 5 euro per day for uh, children. They don't pay for the first uh, two weeks, but they must pay if the food has been provided. So they And they pay for that out of the adults getting 220 euro a week. And obviously they'll get child dependents as well. So the money uh, does come out of that. There will be other uh, refugees who are living in accommodation that they are paying rent, but there will be some who are living in accommodation where uh, we know that the government made an offer to try to get people to give up if they had empty accommodation or if they had empty rooms in their houses uh, to offer them to Ukrainian refugees, then the government pay them. So I assume in situations like that, the actual refugee is not paying any rent. So it isn't one size fit all. Some people, and of course, many of the refugees that have come to this uh, country, while they initially got their PPS number, got their social welfare of €220 per week, many of them have gone gone back to work. They are allowed uh, to work uh, and obviously the €200 20 then becomes means tested at some point if they if they're or if they're working part time they can earn so much uh, but if it gets to a, if they if they're earning more uh, um a decent wage. God, I can't get my words out today. If they're earning a decent wage, obviously they will lose their uh, social welfare. But yes, the answer to um, Dan's clar- clarification, he thought that when they came here that they weren't getting social welfare. They do. They are allowed to register for a PPS number and then with that comes a social welfare payment. Do they get medical cards? Somebody else wants to know. Yes, they do. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. Uh, John Paul's taking the calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862. 103 or 103. C103 Jobs. An early years and school age child care practitioner is wanted for work at Kinsale. Contact Trish 087 947 5367. A person is wanted in the Mallow area to look after two children with school pickups at 1.40 and 2.40 pm. Uh, please call 087 Callacy and Partner Solicitors in Bandon. They're looking for a legal secretary. CVs and a cover letter, please, to Ted Hallacy at hplaw.ie. And Solace Tech Insulation and Ventilation are looking for general operatives for the Fomoy area. Please call 025 40776. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, any one of us who have ever experienced a sick child that has ended up in hospital will know how traumatic those hospital stays can be, especially for the little one. Well, my next guest, Edel Tobin, is from Kilcrohan and she's witnessing at first hand the care and attention on the Puffin Ward at Cork University Hospital because her daughter Mia is a patient there at the moment and Adele joins me to discuss fundraising that she's currently doing for the Children's Ward at uh, CUH. Good morning to you Adele. Hi Patricia. And thanks a million for taking our call and I suppose firstly how is Mia and are you okay to to explain to us what happened to her? Yeah um, she's good now. We got good news yesterday. We're hoping to be heading home at the weekend if we get um, all clear from a CT scan today. But Mia had three strokes out of the blue, um, unexplained, can't find a reason for it. 
so. And what age is she? She's eight. So she did she just suddenly become unwell? So it happened, it started, I suppose, just over three weeks ago. She woke one night around half twelve, crying with a pain in her head, and she started vomiting. And Mia has a pre-existing medical condition anyway called Russell-Silver syndrome. So we're a bit more wary of her when she's sick. Okay. So I, we're about an hour and three quarters away from Cork. That night I put her in the car. I rang South Dock. They wouldn't see her. I put her in the car and I drove her to A&E and we landed up there about two o'clock in the morning. And I have to say A&E was a different story now to the rest of it. They gave her apple juice. And she tolerated the carton of apple juice and they sent us home at 8 o'clock in the morning. And then it kind of continued on for a few days after that. At night time, she was waking with pains in her head. So basically, we didn't realise it at the time. But when she was lying down, she was getting a build-up of fluid in her head of pressure caused by the first stroke that she had actually had the night I brought her to A&E. But, I mean, we weren't looking out for a stroke. We didn't. It was the last thing we would have expected with her. So this went on for a bit at home, um, a bit of a pain in the head, and then it came to a head when she got weakness on her left side and her speech started coming out all mixed up. The words were getting all mixed up. So we brought her to our, our GP in Skull, Dr. Helen Finlay, and she was fantastic. She got us into Cork to paediatric assessment, and from there, straight away, um, they noticed a weakness on her left side and we were admitted and her doctor then, Dr. Olivia Manny, she even came out of clinic that morning to come examine Mia and from there on, they've just been unbelievable. And so, when you noticed the, the, the speech difficulty and the weakness on the left side, did you start to question that maybe this is a stroke? Well, I'll be honest, I've overreacted a lot of times with things with her. I'm very, you know, she's been sick a lot. She's had a lot of different, like, she's not your average child. When she gets a virus, it takes her a good three weeks to get over it. We used to always have to do a week in hospital on drip and whatnot. So I was trying to tell myself, look, we've been to A&E. They say she's okay. Just calm down and wait it out. Because we had actually, we'd all had a viral thing in the house. So I kind of thought maybe, you know, it'll it'll pass. Because, I mean, you're not you're not looking for stroke in an eight-year-old. No, no. It's not the last thing you think of. Um, but I did, I like, when obviously, when the weakness and I knew something was very wrong. And it did, it came back after about 30, 35 minutes or so. The feeling came back and we calmed her down and... She kind of started saying, well, maybe I fell asleep funny on my hand. Maybe it went numb. Maybe that was it. And we didn't know what to think. So A&E wasn't an option for us. We've done that a lot of times. We've done A&E and we've done being sent home. So we got her to the GP in the morning and that. And then it was straight on to the ward. And you are fulsome, Adele, in your praise of the care and attention that Mia has been receiving since cannot say enough about them. I mean, even the consultant, she never left Mia all weekend. She gave the whole weekend in and out. We have had a nurse this year. She had, we think, her final stroke in the hospital on the Friday night. We came here on the Thursday and it was it was horrifying to watch. Horrifying. She was screaming and screaming. 
saying, I'm going to die, my head is going to explode. She was, me is high-functioning ASD, so she has a very high understanding of everything. She takes in everything, she knows everything, she's She's too clever. She's a smart kid. Yeah, she's very, a smart. very much so. Difficult, difficult to watch your child though go through something like like it that. It was horrible. But like, I was shocked that night. She was to have an MRI, but she couldn't. She was too unsteady. But they were able to send her for a CT. So we had a nurse on. Um, Ashley was her name, and she finished shift just before me. I was due to go for the CT. She wouldn't go. She wouldn't go home. She came down with us. She stayed with us till Mia had her CT scans and she stayed with us until we got back up to the ward. What a nurse. Oh, like all of them. They have been unbelievable. I I can't praise them enough. And I'm not just saying it because we're in here now. I, I mean, they have gone over and above. We have a place specialist, Rachel, here in the ward. She's on this ward. She's in Ladybird downstairs. She's in NICU. We've, we had, a, like, obviously for Mia now, she's so aware of what's happened. She knows, like, the day that we got told she's the stroke, I got called out and the doctor said, look, I'm sorry, there's there's evidence of the three strokes and the, it was both sides of her brain, the right and the left. And I went back into Mia and I sat down in the bed. I'd obviously been crying. Mia looked at me and she said, they seen something on the picture of my brain, didn't they? You know, she's, She's so for, for an eight-year-old. Yeah, it's hitting her hard. Rachel, and is there any permanent damage? You know, the way we, we know with adults, uh, older people, if they get strokes, they can be left completely paralysed down the, the, the left-hand side or they might have speech difficulties. Are you seeing anything permanent? So since Mia was born, we've been told she's rare. <laughs> Everything with her is rare. She has this Russell Silver syndrome, a very rare form of it. She has hypothyroidism. She has a whole mixture of things. And she's become even more rare now because this type of stroke that she has is extremely rare. And it, they are absolutely baffled that she has come out of it. She has a slight weakness on the left side. That's as but, much. But that possibly will come back with physio. That will, they, they, we're, we're so lucky. We have early intervention in Bantry. They're fantastic. They're honest. They've contacted the ward here already to know what they need to have in place for her going home. They're fantastic. That's, that's fantastic. That, now, yeah. but it's, it's, you were talking about the play therapist. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. 
like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And unfortunately, it interrupted you. And it is, it is the play therapist and the playroom that you really want to focus on from a fundraising point of view. Tell me about that. So basically, people think of, you know, play specialists, oh, that she's just, you know, keeping them occupied and doing what. It's not. Mia, like I said, has such a high understanding. I'm here with her the last two weeks. She's, I can only say, probably allergic to me now at this stage. <laughs> she had a bad episode the other evening where, so she's very, very, very small. She's only 16 kgs and it's very hard to get a line into her. And she had a bad experience trying to get a, a cannula in. Rachel came. Mia was hysterical. I mean hysterical. Screaming, roaring, pain in the head was coming back, everything because she was so worked up. Rachel came in, had her time with her, had Mia calmed down, knew all the things to say to her, done everything I couldn't do. I mean, she was absolutely amazing. She goes into, you know, before surgery for children, she came into Mia, she had her all set up for when she was going for it. Mia was able to do the MRIs without sedation. Thanks to Rachel explaining what she was going doing, showing her videos on it, talking her through it. It's so important to have her and what she has on the ward. There's only so much a parent can do. Mm. She really is like it. But, but I think I think people will be surprised to hear because we're talking about a health budget that's gone into the billions and they've gone a billion over uh, this year alone, for for example. The, the equipment and the toys and the other bits and bobs that you would expect a play therapist to use and you'd expect to be in a playroom. None of that is funded by the HSE. No, and she's literally inside in a shoebox, the room. Like, she has, she is, I, I know they can't do anything about that. Look, the ward is, the size of the ward is the ward, that's it. But she's there, she was given her space. But everything that goes into that room is donated by past parents. It's funded for everything. And like, she knows what they need. She goes out, she gets it. But if it's given to a child, it has to be replaced. It's not, um, you know, it's not that all stuff is given in and it's there. It's not. And like she says herself, they get donations of presents, obviously Christmas time, things like that, to give to the children, which is fantastic. But there's children there all year round. Yeah. You know, there's, there's an average of 250 children coming in out there a month. It's, it's hard to explain it, but until you're in here firsthand and you appreciate what's been done inside here if um, that she needs every penny of it. Okay, and so you set up a GoFundMe uh, page yep. and you simply called it a Puffin Children's Ward in CUH yep. and, and you set up, you set a target of 1,500. Yep. You, you, you I'm just looking at it now in front of me. You're at 10,500. I, uh, I, I can tell, honestly, it's been the greatest distraction to me <laughs> in here because <laughs> I was going... I, I have, it's, it's been hard, like, and I set that up. I went home one night, I have two younger boys at home, and I went home one night to them last Friday night. And when I went home, I wasn't happy at home. I didn't feel comfortable at home. So I, I said, like, look, I have to do something to get my mind off it. So I set this up. 
and I was like, sure, any 500 euros would be great help to them. And it was just going up and up and up. And like people have been unbelievable. It's fantastic. And it's yeah. lovely to see some some people when they donate, you know, they, they, they put up words, you know, and, and as to why they're doing it. And I loved one. Uh, Teresa said about her son, Ryan, and my son likes holidaying in the Puffin Ward. Yeah. I mean, the God almighty, isn't that, that will tell you the care and attention. And somebody else, you know, speaking about that their son spent uh, so many mm-hmm. nights on the Puffin Ward and, and they know how important uh, it is. So if anybody has a few bob to give and it can be from the very low to the very high, I'm always, I'm always saying on these type of fundraisers, it's all the small tenors and twenties are the ones uh, that mount up. Go fund me, and it's Puffin Children's Board um, in Coh. So you're hoping to be heading home tomorrow. If me is to have um, vaccines now in a minute, I'm okay. waiting to have them for the. So it's me is on aspirin now for probably for the rest of her, her life. Time. Yeah, and she has to get. She's never had the chicken pox, so the chicken pox is a high risk of her basically having another stroke if she gets them. So she has to have the vaccine uh, and the vaccine itself carries a bit of risk when you're on aspirin. So she has to get the vaccines this morning and be monitored for a few days and just make sure everything's okay. And then if all is good and if this CT scan comes back with no change since last Friday, then... We're okay. So. Oh, it'll be fantastic. It'll be fantastic. And actually, the picture you put up online, she's beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous. Because Russell Sil- Silver Syndrome, they're very small, isn't Isn't that one yeah, of the characteristics? She's, she's 16 kg. She's yeah. less than her three year old brother in God, weight. Gosh, tiny so, little thing. Tiny yeah. little thing. And Camille, how is mommy doing? How are you? I'm. I miss being at home and everything, but I have to say, I was in no rush to get out of here. Okay. <laughs> I felt a lot more comfortable being here. I was, you know, they they looked after you so well. Like, people, you just don't see it until you're in here. We've been in Puffin so many times. But it would get, the last time was in the middle of COVID, but before that was all pre-COVID. So you had a parent's room here. You know, you could walk out, you could go in, you could get your coffee, you could sit down and have five or ten minutes to yourself. They've gotten rid of all that. The COVID apparently means you can't have a parent's room now. So there's no... The nurses are running around the place trying to ask you, do you know, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want a cup of coffee? In the middle of trying to do their own work no, as well. No, like, And, and they, they take the time to do it. Yeah, and they're stressed to the nines. Uh, they're so overworked, they really are. Yeah. Listen, uh, we, well, listen, good luck. Continue good luck with the fundraiser. It was a brilliant, brilliant thing to do. Uh, Thank well you so done. Much. And we send lots of healing love to Mia and, and, and to Mummy as well. You need to look after yourself, Fidel. And thank, thank you, you for sharing your story with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Edel Tobin from Kilcrahan, currently along with Mia in the Puffin at Ward. Hopefully they'll be home soon. Now, next Friday is Friday the 13th, and we really hope that this Friday the 13th proves to be a lucky one for Focus Ireland because it's the night for their annual Shine a Light campaign. Talk about the event and indeed the work of Focus Ireland. I'm joined by Lorraine Toner, and Lorraine is Head of Community Fundraising. Good morning to you, Lorraine. Hello, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. I suppose just remind listeners what you ask people to do on Shiny Light Night. Sure. For Shiny Light, Focus Ireland, um, we run a campaign which is proudly supported by Board Gosh, Gosh Energy. And what we're asking for as part of our national sleep out event is that you just take a night out of your bed, out of your comfort zone, and you organise a sleep out. So we're calling on 
families, individuals and businesses around the country to join Focus Ireland and help us raise vital funds for our homeless services. So what we're going to ask people to do is sign up at chinalight.focusireland.ie, register for the event, whether you're a business, whether you're a business leader or you're an individual or group, that'll generate a fundraising page for you. And you just go ahead and you say, right, I'm not sleeping in my bed tonight. I'm sleeping in the garden. Um, I've got the GAA club on board. We're going to do it at the local pitch. There's a lot of tennis clubs holding events. And you just stand in solidarity with those who are experiencing homelessness for one night. And 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 for those that do take part, and I know you've been doing this in the past and, and I've had work colleagues and friends who have, who have done mm. it. It really is, Lorraine, an opportunity to experience how difficult it is to, to sleep rough. But unfortunately, that's the reality for too many people in this country. Well, actually, to be honest, you're not replicating what it's like to experience homelessness because, you know, a lot of us are very lucky and we'll never understand that. And that's why we really are saying, let's stand up against homelessness. Like Focus Ireland believes that homelessness is wrong. Um, it's morally wrong. And we're asking people across the country to sleep out and take the same stance as us. Like this is our 11th year running the event. It's the fifth year where Board Gosh Energy has been the sponsor. So it's an event that's busy year after year because people do agree with, you know, that homelessness is wrong and they have to take a stand and they want to sleep out, raise money and make sure that we can provide services to people who are experiencing homelessness. Like there's currently, there's 1,839 families in emergency accommodation. And that was from July 23. Um, that's a 29% increase on the number of families becoming homeless last year. Um, it's, a, it's a desperate and shameful problem that the country is facing. And that's why on Friday the 13th this year, we're asking people, to sleep to out and raise what they can. Yeah, I always, I mean, it's 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 difficult even for a, a single person on their own trying to live in, in emergency accommodation, worse if they're sleeping Absolutely. rough. But I think for families, uh, Lorraine, I mean, you, you think like, uh, you know, a typical morning, Thursday morning, this morning, those children getting up in a, in a hotel or a B&B, &B, mm. trying to get ready to go to school, coming home this evening, yeah. trying to do homework in a cramped room. Like that's it. If you if you think of it like there's children doing homework on windowsills, you know, yeah. there's parents trying to dry clothes in hotel rooms, trying to get nutritious meals, trying to keep life going as normal. You know, homelessness really causes desperate trauma. Um, and for people who are being born into homelessness, you know, and there's families that are experiencing it. Um, it's something they shouldn't have to deal with. And it's the reason that Focus Ireland is there. It's to make sure that we can provide supports to help them, you know, get, you know, get out of homelessness or maybe, you know, try and get them at a stage where it prevents homelessness happening for somebody. Um, you know, there's 3,829 children um, in our figures that we're talking about. That's a lot of children in situations that they really don't deserve to be in and parents don't you know, never deserve to be in that situation either. And, and so, talk to me yeah. about Focus Ireland and, and the sort of the practical stuff that you do and, and the services that you provide. We provide a wide range of services. So obviously one of our number one things that we focus on is we advocate for people who are experiencing homelessness. A key area and an area that we're very proud of is that we're, we have skilled professionals to handle um the crisis that you know family homelessness is causing 
So we have obviously information and advice. So you could be nearing homelessness, you could be at risk. Um, a lot of people are often just, homelessness is a complex issue. People struggle sometimes in holding on to a home. And in the current climate that we're in, everybody is feeling that and can understand that issue. Um, we provide um, case workers and family support workers to help people through this situation. We have um, family service centres as well. Um, these family service centres are very, very important. They they provide support workers who can organise, you know, play therapy and the different interventions that children need while working with mom or dad or whoever is the carer in the house to try and get back to where they want to be in their life. Yeah, because with those numbers, you know, shocking numbers of families and children that that are living in in homeless accommodation. We've we've never seen homeless figures like these before. So we we really don't know long term. Are we going to be looking back, Lorraine, in 10, 15, 20 years uh, at the at the effect that that period of homelessness of those children living in hotels and and B&Bs, the effect it's going to have on them long term? That's it. And look, I'm in fundraising, so I wouldn't I wouldn't um, have the expertise to talk about the trauma and how the trauma will um, hurt these children and these families and these individuals, these men and women who found themselves in desperate situations like we're, we're just we know that homelessness can be ended. Um, over the past seven years in particular, especially with our partnership with uh, Board Gosh Energy, we've supported over 7,000 families experiencing homelessness um, or are, are at risk of losing their home. We're not going to stop. The numbers aren't going to stop rising either. It's just currently a vicious cycle as we're helping families out of homelessness. There are more families and individuals falling into it. Um, that's why we're here. Yeah. yeah, it's why we exist. Okay, and you do. And it's you, why you the do support I, of the people of Ireland. Yeah, and you do amazing work because of the support of the people of Ireland. And it's great to see the businesses, Absolutely. Lorraine, very much get involved mm. in in Shine the Light, and they encourage their their employees, don't they, to get involved. They absolutely do. We have a large number of business leaders and corporates that have gotten involved with Shine Life. Some have been involved from the very beginning and they come back year after year. And there are some new corporations, small businesses um, and sole traders that have come on board with us. We've seen, would you believe, a real uptick this year now with the schools around the country. Good. I think younger people have a strong sense of social justice and they're just, they're more vocal, they're they want to make sure that they're involved in um, in playing a part and ending this crisis. So we have over 30 schools that are going to sleep out on Friday the 13th. And that means that there's a teacher, some parents giving up their Friday night out of the school week to sleep outside in the yard <laughs> in not the nicest conditions with maybe the transition year or, you know, a group of kids from fourth, fifth and sixth year. And really the charity we're just we're delighted to see these young people well coming on board and, the there's, fun, and, and there's the fundraising they're doing is absolutely amazing and there's still time for if people want to get involved uh, shine a light there, uh, people can register online yeah shine a light.focusireland.ie and one thing what we have is we have a team of community fundraisers across the country we know this isn't, you know, this isn't the normal thing that people organise. So we're here to support you. Well you know, we're here to advise on 
here's a few tips, here's how to set up your fundraising page, here's, uh, you know, the best things to put in place to make sure your night is a success. And we want to help people reach their goals, you know, that they do raise money and they're able to, you know, afterwards look back and say, yeah, there's a thousand euro that's going directly into services that will help families and individuals. And, the, and that feeling that they've done the they've done some good out of the night. Listen, Lorraine, I'll leave it there. Your phone is just starting to break up slightly. But listen, thank you for that. Good oh, luck with it? it. No, you're OK. Good luck with it. And uh, thanks for joining thanks us. Thanks very much. Uh, good morning All to right, you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Lorraine Toner there, Head of Community Fundraising at uh, Focus Ireland. If you would like to get involved with that, uh, shine a light and good luck. I know there's a lot of people uh, here in Cork will be taking part in that. It's uh, Friday week, the 13th, the Shine a Light campaign. We hope that it is a dry and a mild night for all. Geraldine O'Donovan in Bishopstown, congratulations. Uh, Geraldine, you've been selected as our winner for the pair of balcony tickets for the National Menopause uh, Summit and we've one final pair uh, to give away tomorrow on the programme and the National Menopause Summit is coming to Cork, the City Hall on Friday the 20th of October and you can check out details and uh, tickets by going to nationalmenopausesummit.com but our final pair of of tickets will be given away tomorrow. Now we're looking for a Funderland winner for today. Again, we'll leave text and WhatsApp so for about 10 minutes and then we'll draw our winner from the correct um, answers. Funderland coming to Cork this autumn at Creamfields on the Tomorrow Road open every night until 10pm and we have tickets for you and you can bring along two of your friends, two of your family members if you win today. All week we've been giving you two possible names of a Funderland ride. One of them we've made up and one of them is a genuine Funderland ride. You have to tell us which one is correct. So today, Thursday... Uh, land on or take off. It's either A, land on or take off. One of them is a genuine Funderland ride. The other one we just simply made up. So is it land on or take off? OK, so you give us the answer, please. Either land on or take off. Allow your name and address. Text or WhatsApp now 0862103103. And one lucky listener who gives us the correct answer will win the passes today. Three tickets and passes for Funderland Autumn at Creamfields on the Tamore Road. Open every night until 10 with free supervised parking. So which of which is a genuine Funderland ride? Is it land on or is it called take off? Get texting and WhatsApping, please. OK, let me go to the phone lines where uh, JJ uh, joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon, JJ. Good afternoon. Good you, afternoon. How you, are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. You come with a word of warning to people about yet another scam. Now, this well, one, it's, it's, this oh, seems sorry, unusual. It's not, yeah, it's not a scam. It's not a scam. It's actually an issue with Bank of Ireland. Well, I'm having an issue with Bank of Ireland to authenticate um, your account. You know, when you pay a bill, yeah. you pay your you bill, and it says you must go to your app and you must authenticate it. So I, I was paying a, a utility bill recently and it said go to the app and the, the message never came to the app and I kind of forgot about it, it was late at night and I just forgot about it and next thing then my bins were collected and I rang them and said you didn't pay and I said I forgot to pay. Uh, I said oh I, no, I said that's not right. So I rang Bank of Ireland and they said oh yeah, um, yeah, we don't know really but it seems to be that the link wasn't used. I said the link wasn't used because you didn't send it to me. So the girl said, oh, if you, if, first of all, the girl then said to me, well, if you have this problem again, ring us immediately. I said, it's happening at 12 o'clock at night, you're told. Unless you're willing to give me your personal mobile number, and I'll willingly <laughs> ring you at 12 o'clock at night, says you. 
right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that was fine anyway. So the other night, again, late at night, it was, it was, I wasn't late at night, it was going to bed about 20, 12 o'clock, and next thing um, I saw, oh, please, uh, please, a swipe thing came up on the, on the, on whatever you want to call it, came up on the app, you know, swipe here to, to, to pay the thing. And I was kind of, I wonder, I said, did my wife do something or, you know, yeah. um, and uh, she got up the phone morning and I said, I said, Brisa, did you? And she said, no, I didn't use it at all. So I rang Bank oh yeah, I rang Bank of Ireland back with the number that they gave me yesterday that I was supposed to get straight through that a hotline and uh, it didn't exist, it doesn't work. Okay. Right, so it set me off on this thing that it was actually telling me to change my PIN number, so I was saying, oh, okay. So I got on to, I got on and uh the girl went through it and then again she said, Oh there was one one strange transaction but it wasn't strange in the end it turned out to be just a, a vending machine and she said, Oh, it must be in a vending machine I said it couldn't have been because that that allowed me to use the card. You know, it doesn't allow you to use the payment. And she then went in and she said, uh, all right, okay. So she said, I, 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 we don't know. We don't know what's going on. And I said, I just thought to myself, is this just mine? So it's, it seems to be it seems to be an issue with Bank of Ireland. That, I just wonder how anybody else got a problem. But I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's strange. It's definitely strange. Yeah, and um, it's never it's never happened before. It happened previously, but I didn't take any notice of it. I thought just, you know, a glitch. But, you know, when you mention there are no, like, uh, fraudsters and all that, like, yeah. if, if Bank of Ireland is, if Bank of Ireland's app is, but no, is it me? Maybe it's just my my phone. I don't know. Maybe it's the app that, that I have down on my phone has corrupted itself. I don't know. But, like, you're talking about fraudsters. If the Bank of Ireland can't get their app right and I'm getting messages in the middle of the night... I'm not going to do anything on my phone. Exactly, I, 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 exactly. And and I mean, we know all the banks are encouraging us to do everything online because that's what they want. But they've got to make sure that all of their apps and every time they ask you to verify a payment, that everything works. Because that's just going to turn people off straight away. And the other the other issue here, and and, and, it's the, and, and there's nothing wrong with this now because they really were helpful there. But the 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 help centre was in another country. Now there was no problem. She totally understood, but she didn't understand how the app does works here. So I mean, if you're in another country, you're using another variation of something. You you're not, and and actually that's something you know we talk about. It seems to be a lot of of jobs in this in this country being you know being I suppose siphoned off to places. I suppose banks are out to make even more money, and other organisations, and they're siphoning out IT jobs. And you know, it's yeah, because not, it's people not, get paid a lot less in in other countries absolutely. than what we'd have to pay here. No, but, absolutely. But the problem then is, is exactly as, as you've identified. Firstly, sometimes there can be an issue with not being able to understand somebody, and and I have heard people uh, say that, and that's not in any way taken from somebody from another country. But no, sometimes it can be difficult to, particularly when you're over the phone, and if you're in a bit of a panic and you're trying to make out exactly what somebody is saying. But that other issue is they're not familiar a with. Ireland, where you are in Ireland, or as you say, even with the app that you're using. No, and the other problem I have with this thing with Bank of Ireland as well, if I'm paying on my phone, it, you know, it says go to the account, you know, go to your, and, and, and even if it, even if you get to it and you authenticate it, you come back or after losing it after logging and cell phone. I know, I know, I know. I mean, they log out so quickly, don't they? Absolutely. But I just has I'm just wondering, has anybody else maybe is it just Okay. Me? We'll just yeah, well we and I know you put it up on, on Twitter on Twitter or X yeah. or whatever it is now. It'll be interesting to see does anybody pick up on it on, on Twitter uh, as well. But well you well you've you've explained it well. Let's see if anybody else is having an issue. It's uh, talk to Bank of Ireland. It's that's their app. Okay, listen, JJ. Just and, one thing yeah. there, just one thing, just an lad, sorry and appreciate. Bank of Ireland haven't come back to me. No, the girl yesterday offered me to go 
um, did I want to make a complaint and I just said I hadn't the time I just you know but I always it up on Twitter and they, they haven't even come back so you know they're closing the branches and they're telling us they're going to bank online and there's an issue with mine and like it and is no there, there, there. Is, and there's evidence on mine that it did send me out a message but I didn't get the message so you know anyway thanks it very just, much they just, right? don't, they just don't seem to be in any hurry to help you out that's the sense I'm getting. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Okay, listen, Thanks mind yourself, much. JJ, and mind keep us informed. Uh, Thanks for that. 0818 103 103. Anybody else having problems uh, with their uh, Bank of Ireland with verifying payments on their app, please let us know because it would be particularly for JJ's point of view to see if it's just maybe some glitch that's happening uh, with him. 0818 103 103. Can I go to some of your calls and uh, texts uh, coming in uh, to us? Where are they gone? Uh, they're here. There's a question coming for Jane, our a resident vet. Thank you for that. Keep those coming because Jane will be joining us uh, in a couple of minutes. But we were talking about the Euros and the Euros coming to Ireland and it'll be all be ratified and confirmed, uh, please God, next uh, Tuesday. And of course, people are saying, why is Croke Park not being used? Why is it only the uh, Aviva? And somebody says, Fish, I was listening to you and particularly people who are texting in complaining why Croke Park isn't going to be used for the Euros in 2028. Facebook and Twitter are awash with the same questions. Well, it seems because of the UEFA standards and requirements for official tournaments, Croke Park could only cannot be used because of Hill 16. For Coke Park to qualify, the GAA would have to permanently turn Hill 16 into a fully seated stand. Now, John Paul checked that and uh, said it wouldn't have to be permanently turned in. They could put in temporary seating. But you are right, for any of the UA, for UEFA standards, they all have to be all the stadia have to be seated. But just back on when that decision was made about Croke Park being used, I did find a piece back in April. This would have been when they were first applying when the UK and Ireland bid was was going in and there had always been the hope that Croke Park would be used uh, as well. And I saw the Minister for at the the Minister of State for Sport um, what is Thomas Byrne uh, is his name uh, he it was at, he was saying at the time when it was suggested that it was going to be Casement Park in Belfast and not Croke Park I and mean, he was saying you know did Croke Park lose out to Casement Park being that they're both GAA pitches and he said that no they wanted Croke Park and the Aviva to both be used in Dublin but it was actually from a UEFA point of view we felt that two stadia in a city the size of Dublin wouldn't be ideal for, for the bid so they've gone with the one city one venue except obviously for the UK there's two in London but that's to do with they have the infrastructure and they have the population base so it wasn't that Croke Park was deliberately overlooked that isn't uh, the case 0818103103 thank you to that person for that uh, text and then Jar was on to say Patricia I heard you discussing the Ukrainian refugee issue this morning. Can I just bring up something on a different topic? Now, this isn't to do with refugees from Ukraine and this isn't to do with asylum seekers. Jer says, I was informed that a foreign man working in Ireland, not a refugee now, uh, can get children's allowance and other benefits for his family who are not living with him in Ireland, but they're living back in his home country. Surely that can't be true, says uh, Jer. God, Jer, you better be sitting down because it is true. And it's actually, that's been in place for many, many years. It's the, it's the, it's an EU 
rule. If you are working in any other EU country, but your family is domiciled in another country, the country that you are working in, you and your family are entitled to the same benefits. The, I, I'm assuming the theory is you're paying, you're paying tax in that country. So take, for example, you've got a German man who's working in Ireland, but his wife and children decide to remain in uh, Germany. Then yes, he is entitled to claim a number of things. He can claim child benefit is one, the monthly uh, child benefit is one. Uh, but he can also claim something like, I, w- I wasn't aware of this, you know, the domiciliary care allowance, which is given to a, a parent of a child uh, with a disability uh, he can also they can also claim that uh, as well and it is for anyone who comes from any EU country or any of the EA, EEA countries and Switzerland they can claim if they're working in this country but their children and family are living in uh, another country. Now it it does say that what happens particularly with uh, child child benefit if, if um, this is outside of the EU this is for the EEA and Switzerland Ireland pay uh, a rate what's called a top up for the for within the EU countries uh, they pay the child benefit but it works the other way as well if you have an Irish mum or dad who's working in Italy in France in Germany and the family opts to remain here in Ireland, they can claim the same child benefit from the other country uh, as well. So that's been there for quite some time. 0818103103. John Paul is taking your calls. We are looking for your pet questions, uh, please, for uh, Jane, if you can get those into us and you can stop. Yep, we're over on our 10 minutes. You can stop texting us for our Funderland competition. We asked you today uh, which of the, we gave you two possible names of a Funderland ride. Rich is correct. I gave you land on or take off. It is, of course, take off. And our winner today is Maeve Remberg. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Maeve Remberg of Ahabola. Congratulations to you, Maeve. You have won a, uh, a ticket along with two other tickets to bring friends. You've won, th- you've won three tickets in total and passes for Funderland Autumn at Creamfields on the Tamore Road. Open every night until 10. And if you're driving, there is supervised uh, parking. You can see Funderland on Facebook for more. We have one more set of those tickets and passes for Funderland to give away tomorrow on the programme. But congratulations to Maeve Remberg in Ahabola. Today's winner. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Sacred Heart Secondary School in Clonakilty, they're having an open night for new students. Um, it kicks off at five o'clock this evening, and the principal's address will be at seven. Blarney and District Historical Society are hosting David Ryan giving an illustrated lecture uh, entitled Blue Shirts and the IRA in 1930s Cork. It's tonight at 8 in Blarney Secondary School. Everybody welcome. Non-members, the admission is €4. Euro. Nazareth House Lotto Draw, that is on today, 3 o'clock in Nazareth House. They've got a jackpot of €10,000. While yoga classes continue in Chambali Moor Community Centre this uh, Thursday, great way to reset body and mind. All are uh, welcome. And Rockchapel National National School Parents Association, they will host a fashion show 
in Rock Chapel Community Centre tonight, uh, uh, or Friday night at 8, with many local shops displaying their wares. There will be a door prize and many swap prizes on the night. Tickets are available from parents at Rock Chapel National School and will also be available at the door tomorrow night. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Liz, who's just been on to us uh, listening to JJ talking about the problem he's having, uh, that he's having with Bank of Ireland. Liz seems to be having similar problems. She said, I'm having uh, that same problem with Bank of Ireland. When I buy online, I can't because it won't let me authorise it. It's a complete pain. Like JJ, I've been on to the bank several times. Uh, they still haven't got it sorted. I'm actually considering closing my account and I'm only going to use their visa account. That is from Liz. So at least there's somebody else backing up JJ saying he is not the only uh, one. Keep your pet questions coming for Jane, uh, please. But I want to go back to yesterday because we spoke with Senator Tim Lombard about the early closure of the Appery Living Nursing Home in Belgooley with families of residents scrambling to find an alternative nursing home for their loved one. Well, as we've been hearing on the news this morning, there is an update on this. So let's go back to Senator Tim Lombard. Good morning. Good afternoon to you, Tim. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Now, the HSC announced at some stage yesterday or early this morning they're stepping in. Can you tell us what's happening? Yeah, so what's after happening here is that the Hickory report that was published, they have now decided that they were going to take, uh, they're going to withdraw the licence. So on the 26th of September, Hickory moved forward and they basically gave a notification that they gave one month before they would they would withdraw the license for it to actually be operating as um uh, an, an operation as a nursing home so it gave a month for the nursing home to actually do something they have the opportunity to appeal it to court or they could work to actually fix the compliance issues or close so it's very obvious they've taken the view that they're going to move to a close because the 24th of october is the date that it was in the close which is the day before they must make the decision what they're going to do We've 22 families involved here at the moment, 22 patients left in the actual nursing home setting. Uh, there was 54 there previously, um, but like the issues that have been raised in the in the report in May regarding Hickory are quite serious. Fire um, safety was one, financial management was one, and the other was management and care. So um, Hickory have effectively stepped in here and given notice to the actual um, operator to actually comply with the measures regarding the report or else move into a different phase. What I'm expecting here to happen is that there'll be significant movement very quickly regarding trying to find locations for the families that are affected. And I would expect you'll have, um, you know, HSC move in within the month if there's not uh, considerable measures done regarding the safety of the actual residents. So the HSC uh, will, will uh, while they're not taking over the nursing home, they will they they are moving in to take charge of it. But the emphasis will be on those twenty two residents and finding them new permanent homes. Exactly, that's where it's all about. Twenty two residents now are stuck in limbo, effectively. Um, a lot of these are. Unfortunately, they are in high need um, settings. They need to make sure there's an appropriate um, nursing home setting for them. Um, and that is a becoming a problem, say the very least. HICWA, like their report, was quite damning. They came back in again and they effectively removed their licence to operate on the 22nd of September uh, and gave them a period of time to actually either appeal that decision or comply. 
is closed and I think the word closed is where we're going at the moment. Um it's a very, very unfortunate situation, but there's other nursing homes in that in that uh, company that need to be looked at as well. I'm not sure exactly what's happening in them. I'm sure that Hickway and the Minister will be taking a, a view to look into that in the next few days because there's a need to get clarity not alone for Belgooli but for the other nine nursing homes that are in that actual um, company now as well. This is a really sad affair, I like to think that we're in a scenario that we have 22 families effectively left in limbo. And I think, you know, last August, we, we there was a vacuum of information, we no shadow of a doubt. Different stuff was being said about what's happening in Belgooli. I think we've now got a very clear picture of what's actually happening here. I yeah, and I know, I know. I I discovered yeah, yesterday after I was talking to you, there was another. There's another um, Appery Living nursing home. I think it's in Ballygunner in County Waterford that's also closing. Yes, yes, and I think you know they have a nursing home setting. I think of ten on their website. When we spoke to Appery Living, they said this isn't owned by them. It's going to be operated by them. So we're not sure actually who owns them, but they are still technically operating um, ten nursing homes. And you have ones in the other, in Bantry and other locations around Ireland as well. Yeah, so it is like, it is a bit of a worry. worry. And and we did also hear yesterday that the chief executive um, who was running it, who wasn't even in there that long, he's he's resigned as well. With, and he had ongoing yeah, concerns. Yeah, like we have a huge issue here regarding the management and the actual management team has been working here. Like the Hickory report that was done in May, the lady that showed him around the actual premises in Belgooli left two days later and that was in the report itself. So like this was, and this is a, a huge issue about how the management of the nursing home setting had been ran for the last 18 months in particular. And goes all the way back to a previous report that was done in November 2021, where they highlighted 14 red flag issues regarding fire safety, Only and there was only two, the other 12 are still hanging over them. So like we're, we have issues here regarding fire, management, finances, there's a, a huge issue regarding how it was ran. Um, Hickel stepped into the actual remit now. They're trying to protect the actual patients. They're in, con- they're in constant contact with the HSC and the management now to make sure the patients are in a good setting. And Hickel have said that they will step in and run it within the month if they deem it appropriate. If they deem there's an issue that they have to step in. And if Hickel do that, then they'll move the so-called Section 71 further and go to court and actually step in there. So, okay. Uh, All right. But it's, just, it's uh, very, it's, very bizarre. Yeah, it's 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 still not ideal. But I think for the families to know that the the HSE have their back now, and uh, hopefully um, forever homes will be found for those twenty two uh, residents. But I think from a family's point of view, it's important that they are located as close as possible to where they lived. It's very, it's very difficult if families are asked that, you know, a much loved mother or father or, or, or husband or wife is living, you know, many, many miles away just from a visiting point of view. And this is technically their home, their living space where they're living. And I think that's a massive issue. And like, we're still dealing with a really significant number, like 22 is quite oh, yeah, it's a lot of people. To it's try a lot. And trying to find suitable accommodation that's in a suitable location that they can access. And I spoke yesterday morning, I spoke to her again afterwards about this lady that doesn't want to go through the tunnel. Um, like you do have issues regarding, you know, transportation. Has, has, that, has, she been, has that been sorted? She, she needs a place for her husband? No, still not sorry. Isn't? Oh, Alright, listen, keep in contact with us. Keep in contact with us um, on this one, uh, Tim. But listen, uh, thank you for joining us and, and for bringing us the, the, the latest on it.
Thank you. OK, uh, good Good afternoon to you. That is uh, Senator Tim uh, Lombard with the latest on that story from uh, yesterday. And a couple of people have been on reacting to Tim or to JJ and the problem with his app. Somebody says, Patricia, on the online banking app, I recently had a similar problem with the Credit Union app and I wasn't getting uh, the um, authenticity codes late at night. It turned out that the Credit Union systems had sent the code but the Vodafone network hadn't forwarded the codes on as there was the problem with the Vodafone data network. I ended up getting four text messages with the codes the following morning when the network was fixed, but it was nothing to do with the bank. In this case, the Credit Union, it was to do with Vodafone. But then somebody else looks like they've got the solution. Says, hi, Patricia. I think JJ needs to delete his app and then reset it up. I had the very same issue with those authenticity uh, codes um, on the app uh, a long time ago and that's what one of the staff told me to do. I did it and I've had no issues since. That's from Michael so we'll pass that piece of advice on uh, to JJ. Delete the app and then set it up again that that might sort it so that might just be a, and, and actually to the other, we had another listener contact us by WhatsApp. Liz wasn't it who had the very same situation. Maybe Liz if Liz could try that as well actually delete the app and then reset up the app um, reinstall it. It might just uh, sort it out. 0818 103103. Let's take a break. We're going to have your pet questions answered by Jane Pickett, our resident vet. If you have a pet question, you can call John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp me to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And we're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary uh, Group. As we say, good afternoon to Jane Pickett. Good afternoon, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Let me get straight into questions. Here's a here's a great one in from Nita to say, hi, Patricia, could you please ask uh, Jane what to do with what I can only describe as a stubborn dog who will only go for about 10 minutes into a walk before she's dragging her heels on the road and then refuses to move. I've tried pulling her along, but I don't like doing this. So I usually end up just going back home um, and I don't know what the problem is. It's almost as if she thinks I don't like this place. I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be going out for a walk and Muggins here gives in. Now I need to break this habit as I have two dogs. My second dog is rearing for the road and rearing to go out for his walk so I end up bringing the four-year-old dog home and then going back with the two-year-old dog which I don't like doing either because my dad says as soon as we leave she's whining until I get back but it's not fair for my second dog Tess to have a walk determined by my other dog Daisy. I know it's probably my fault for giving in when she simply won't move but she's never been like this before but it's now becoming a gradual thing that simply is getting worse. Now she does have a dislocated knee joint which can pop out but only occasionally. She's actually on a pet version of CBD oil for it but other than that there's no health issues. Any tips would be gratefully appreciated. She simply is stubborn. Thanking you that's Nita. Oh, well, that sounds like a really difficult situation when you have two dogs that one's rearing to go and the other one is really hanging back and wanting to go home. It's really, really challenging because obviously, as you say, you want the other younger dog to be able to go out and run around and keep themselves fit and healthy. But obviously the other the other pet is not so keen. Now, I suppose first I'd say it could be a situation that there might be a 
degree of fear, particularly if you're walking the same route the whole time? Have they ever got a fright from a car or a fright from another barking dog? Something that they're anticipating around that 10, 15 minute mark into the walk in that area. If you walk the same way all of the time that they might be nervous or fearful of or some sound or something in the environment. That would be the first thing. What I would say, however, though, is I think that's less likely than what you what you brought up there at the end. The fact that we have a, a little bit of the knee joint, probably the little kneecap, the patella, um, that comes pops in and out, but only happens every now and again. Now, great news that you've got that checked out by the sounds of it. Um, but what I would say is that these situations are dynamic. They change over time. So what might not be a huge issue in a younger dog as they gain a little bit of age, even a few years, if they have an underlying bone or muscle issue, sometimes with wear and tear on that, the situation can change. But also as our pet grows up, you know, the, the, the exact structure of their, their muscles and the alignment of their bones changes a little bit. So in situations where we might have, let's say, a little kneecap that pops in and out, that can change and become worse over time. What I would say is that my gut feeling from what you've said there is I think your dog might be uncomfortable. I think they might be painful when they've done 10 minutes of a walk and they're really wanting to go home because they're sore. I think that might be what's going on here. Um, fear is another thing, as we've discussed, that could be an underlying thing. And I think certainly if you've ruled out any degree of pain with your vet, then then maybe getting a behaviourist on board to say, well, what's triggering that fear or anxiety response in your dog? But I really think that this one is going to be an underlying health issue by the sounds of it. What I would suggest is... I would get him booked back in with your vet, um, discuss what's happening with the walks um, and discuss, I suppose, well, how you feel your pet's pain control is. And these little dogs, they can be so, so stoic, so, so brave and kind of really, really hide it unless they're pressed. And in this situation, we might be hiding it really, really well until we're walking on a hard surface for 10 minutes and then we get too sore and then we begin to show signs. So our sign is maybe saying, right, I don't want any more of this walk. I want to go home. I'm sore. Okay. And soreness in pets, dogs and cats doesn't necessarily mean that they're sitting there whinging. A lot of the time they might become quieter, more reserved or just avoid certain activities. So they can actually be really, really stoic, really brave and really silent with their pain. And I think that that might be what's going on here. Now, what I would say is there's lots and lots of pain medications on the market. If that's what's appropriate for your pet, you need to have a good chat with your vet about this, because I know certainly if, if let's say the kneecap is the issue, sometimes medical management might be required, but sometimes surgery might be indicated too. So your vet will be the best person to have a chat with you about that after examining your pet as to what the best course of action is. It could be something else as well. Lots of orthopedic issues kind of go hand in hand. So it's important to keep an open mind. It could be elsewhere on the body, um, but it does sound painful. But let's say if we do need to go down the medical management route, I understand that you're already on a, a CBD supplement. That is one type of pain management. I suppose it's one of the newer ones we have on our hands. And what I would say is that it's really worth using something in conjunction with your vet if your vet thinks it's appropriate to prescribe let's say a, a medication such as a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory or some of the newer medications that we have that deal with the, the nerves response to pain then we know that those medications are tried and true and trusted and we know that they'll provide adequate pain relief so I think really this one although it might seem like a behavioral problem my good instinct in this situation is I think it's pain, pain and I think visiting the vet is the first thing. Okay hi uh, Jane I have a golden retriever who was on Royal Canine Hepatic Nut for the past two years, but suddenly has decided he doesn't want to eat it anymore. Can I give him another brand of Hepatic Nut, whichever, whatever that is? Mm. So hepatic means liver. Um, oh, okay. So that would be if we have, let's say, a liver issue. And for some reason, 
not outlined here, it sounds like there's some kind of liver issue in the background that this pet was receiving a, a, what we call a prescription diet. So a very special diet that's specific to the needs of a certain disease process. So normally with liver disease, we need to have a slightly different skew of the types of proteins we have um, and kind of a different skew of the fiber types that we have. So it's really quite a specialist thing. OK, and that's to keep that pet well in with that disease in mind. If your pet has stopped eating it all of a sudden and they were otherwise really, really enjoying it, I think the first thing is, have you got a new bag? Um, could it be the bag that's changed? Is it just since you started a new bag of that food? If so, it might be worth having a think about that and seeing if it's if it's just the bag rather than the, the food itself. Or is it something else? Are they uncomfortable with their chewing now? Is it because they're they're not happy with chewing the nut or chewing the wet food? And um, so just keep an open mind. Well, is it something that's preventing them from enjoying their food? If it is just really a preference that's changed, there are other hepatic diets on the market. But what I would say is they're all a little bit different. And I wouldn't change your pet's diet without having a chat with your vet who's done the underlying diagnosing of your pet's hepatic disease. Because we need to make sure that for their particular problem, that exact diet is the right thing. So there are other options out there. Don't lose hope. Um, but I would definitely do this one under veterinary guidance. I wouldn't just go changing them um, on a whim. I think it's a really, a really important decision to make for your pet's longer term management of their disease. So get a vet involved. OK, Breda wants to know, is it safe to get plaque removed from a dog's teeth? The dog is 13. Okay, so what I would say is the dental disease is really, really common, particularly in our older patients. And it's really a big source of pain and discomfort that, again, you know, they can suffer through quite silently. A lot of dogs will be eating and crunching their food and they actually have quite significant dental disease. But, you know, it takes a lot for a dog to really go off their food um, because of because of discomfort. They're hardwired to really eat and drink. And that's kind of down at their kind of basic needs and instincts. Um. I would say that as long as your pet is otherwise well at 13, then age shouldn't be a barrier to having general anesthesia to have their teeth cleaned, if that's what's medically necessary. Obviously, in an older patient, their risk of deteriorating under sedation or general anesthesia is I suppose, statistically increased. But what I would suggest in this situation is work with your vet and vet nurse to try and minimise their risk. So go in for a pre-examination, have a chat with them about whether you, they think that your pet is a candidate for at their stage in life needing dental work doing. And it may be the case that if there's obvious tartar there, they probably are. But they'll be able to guide you. Normally in those instances, as vets, we'd recommend doing pre-op bloods. And that's usually to check out in the background. Well, how is everything ticking away in the body? Are they doing well? So we can kind of try and tailor the anesthesia to the patient to make it as safe as possible. So simple things like that can be really helpful. But also you'll be able to have a more in-depth discussion about given your pet's health concerns in the background or lack thereof, what their likely risk under general anesthetic is. But what I would say is, you know, age should not be a barrier. And as long as these things can be managed and the risk can be allayed as much as possible, you know, most pets will benefit from dental 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 procedures if they do need them because we don't want them to be suffering suffering in silence. Yeah, I suppose people just get panicky about the idea of a general mm. of, of an anaesthetic with an, an older dog. And Nita has been Absolutely. back on with the dog, uh, with the stubborn dog uh, to say, to, uh, can you pass on my thanks to uh, Jane? I certainly will uh, book the, uh, the, there was a Daisy is the dog. No, Daisy is the good dog. It's, uh, to, uh, you know, Daisy is the one who's playing up. Uh, I certainly book her in for a checkup with the vet. I forgot to say they're both uh, Cavachons and she sent 
on a picture of the two of them that I take it was taken last Christmas. My God, they're just adorable dogs. Aww. They're really gorgeous. So <laughs> Nita, let us know how you get on and, and hopefully Absolutely. hopefully it isn't anything uh, too serious. OK, listen, thank you for that, uh, Jane. And uh, we'll chat again next Thursday. Brilliant. Thank you very Thanks. much. Have Patricia. a lovely week. That is uh, Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket and that is part of the Mill Street uh, Veterinary Group and I can just see another uh, very long uh, text has uh, come in on WhatsApp about a cockapoo. I'll hang on to that question for you. It's just if I started to try and do it now I literally wouldn't have had enough time and I promise you I will get John Paul to make a note of it and we will come back and we'll start Jane's lot uh, next week with uh, that. Okay, that's where I've got to leave for today uh, reminding you tomorrow Friday we do have more uh, giveaways tomorrow on the programme we've got more of the Funderland tickets to give away we're getting a huge reaction actually on those uh, Funderland uh, tickets so if you want a chance to win uh, make sure you're tuned our way tomorrow uh, for that and then we have the last of our balcony tickets for the National Menopause uh, Summit we'll be giving those away tomorrow as well and it's been uh, coming up to the weekend. Don't forget that the Premier League Live, considering we were speaking with Trevor earlier on, uh, the Premier League Live is back on c103.ie with uh, Trevor Welch. And Trevor will be bringing us live action this Saturday from midday and is powered by Talk Sport. Trevor will bring you live coverage of Luton versus Spurs. That'll be at half past 12. Manchester United versus Brentford. That's at three in the afternoon. And Crystal Palace will be taking on Knott's Forest. And that'll be the final match at half past five. That's the Premier League live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. Listen on Saturdays on the C103 app or you can go to c103.ie. And that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Mark Malone in for Nick. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.